God. Now, in the Old Testament temple, the altar was typically a place where sacrifices to God were brought. And yet, well, well before this, we see Abraham in Genesis chapter 22, offering up to God on an altar, his son Isaac. God had given him a command one day to take his son, his only son, and bring him to a place where he would show him, ended up being Mount Moriah. And most Bible scholars believe that that area was where Solomon would later build his temple. However, um, Abraham, in obedience to God's command, went and did this. And of course, God stopped Abraham before anything happened. But here, this is my point. At At that altar, at that altar, we can see that it's a place of giving God the ownership because that essentially is what happened there. Abraham and Isaac at the altar. And not only was Abraham giving his son to God, but Abraham was giving himself to God. And when God saw that, you know, Abraham's hand was up with the the knife and God stopped his hand and said, stop, stop. Now I see that you wouldn't hold anything from me. And so the altar of God, in my opinion, has to do more with ownership and giving things over to God than it has to do with um, bloodied sacrifices uh, that we see in the Old Testament. Now, here these days in our church services, after the preaching, we often hold what we call an invitation. We invite people to come after the preaching and to get on their knees at this area of the front of our church down here, we call this the altar. And it's a place where they can meet with God and pray and do spiritual business with God. And often, often people are giving over areas of their lives or giving their lives to the Lord for his ownership and for his glory. Now there are people, Christian people, who may not quite understand the significance of the altar. And for this reason, they may never come forward on an invitation. That's not the only reason, but that is one reason is not understanding the significance of the altar. Now today is the very first Sunday of 2021. And so we naturally want to put God first at the beginning of the year. We want to put him first in our lives. And so this is when we would normally consecrate our lives to God. The word consecration is something you, you do with yourself. You bring yourself to God. Dedication is where you take something and sort of, it leaves your hand. You give it to God. Consecration is you where you bring yourself to God. And that's sort of roughly the difference between those two. But uh, we want to glorify God. Those of us who are saved and trying to live for him, we want to glorify God all year. And so it's important that we, we, we do this and do it right. Now, in the Old Testament dispensation there of law, every year the high priest had to enter into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle some sacrificial blood on the, the uh, mercy seat. And uh, it had to all be done right. Otherwise God wouldn't accept it. And the people would be outside praying and trusting that everything was going to go right. Now it's not quite that way now. 
on the cross of Calvary, when Jesus died, it all had to go right in order for God to accept it. Now, I'm not saying that we can offer a loose consecration of ourselves to God. I'm not saying that at all. If that's what you're thinking, you're thinking the wrong thought. We need to give ourselves lock, stock, and barrel. All there is of us, body, soul, and spirit. We need to consecrate ourselves to God. And we need to do it the best we can. And that's what I'm trying to say here. Consecration to God and the altar, they naturally go together. They're meant for each other. But now because of the COVID restrictions, we can't meet together in the house of the Lord. We can't be here. And so that means that we have to find another way. And I'm happy to say there is another way for us to consecrate ourselves to almighty God. And so we're going to talk about the altar of God today. And again, I want to invite you at the end of this preaching to get on your knees with me. I have a chair set up over here to my right and I'm going to get on my knees and I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for the deacons and then I'm going to pray for us. And I want you to get on your knees and join me and pray right along. And we'll do this the best we can. First, let's begin with a moment of prayer. Our heavenly father, we thank you that we have this opportunity to be together, even though we're not in your house per se, but we're together in spirit and we're certainly together at your throne. And dear heavenly father, we ask that you would help us to be able to give ourselves to you. Holy spirit of God, please be the Bible teacher and the preacher today. Instruct our hearts so that we can intelligently and lovingly come and give ourselves to our heavenly father. Now bless, please keep the distractions away from us. Lord, I pray that no one's cell phone would ring or a text would come in or the doorbell wouldn't ring. Lord, I pray that there would be peace, you know, in all of the homes just now. This is a special moment. And I know the devil will try to upset that if he can. Father, we ask that you would put a hedge of protection around us and allow us please to give ourselves to you in peace and in a sense of seriousness and a love for God in Jesus name. Amen. Well, with your Bible open, please in John chapter four, you have this amazing story of how the woman at the well met the savior. What a great and grand and glorious meeting that was. But before she fully understood that he was the savior and before she got saved, she was asking him questions when she found out he was a religious man. And so the story picks up here in verse 20. And she says, our fathers worshiped in this mountain. And ye say, that's the Jews. Ye Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And here is how Jesus answered her question. And at the same time, giving us a principle that we can work with today as we consecrate ourselves. Verse 21, woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the father. Well, right away, we see some application there, don't we? The hour is upon us where we cannot meet together. No one is allowed to gather together in groups, be it at church or some other place. They're not supposed to. We're 
supposed to be fighting COVID-19. And so we can't meet together. So we're in our homes in different places, all watching over the internet. Verse 22. He said to her, ye worship, ye know not what we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. That is true. God chose Abraham and from Abraham, he raised up the nation of Israel and the Jewish people. And he showed them his salvation and they were to show it to the rest of the world. Didn't do such a very good job though. But nonetheless, this is the truth. Verse 23, but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the father in spirit and in truth for the father seeketh such to worship him. God is still looking for Christian men and women who will worship him. God is still looking for them. Are you one of them? There are many people who refuse to worship God. They think it's something to do with uh, slavery or zombieish mind control. They couldn't be any further from the truth. That has nothing to do with it. The true worship of God means that we enter into such a loving, incredible relationship with God. Now I mentioned to you that starting this month on Wednesday nights, we'll be starting a series on wisdom, what it is and how to get it. And you will find that wisdom also deals with the worship of God. And we'll be covering that. It's going to be a, a very interesting, let's put it that way, a very interesting series Wednesday nights. And I hope that you join us. But here in John chapter four, we have a principle. Each of us can use this principle and consecrate ourselves to God in our homes. You don't have to be here in church altogether. You don't have to come to this place we call the altar. You can do it right there in your home. And I pray you do it today. Please don't think that it's a silly thing or it's a, a, a needless thing to do. I think that it's an important thing and it's a very serious thing. And I believe it's very precious in the eyes of God. We can all get on our knees and we can each of us give God, the first place in our lives, we can bow before an invisible altar in our homes today. Now, someone might be wondering, well, what, what is so special about this altar that you speak of pastor? Aren't you talking just some sort of religious ritual? Is there any value in ritual? And I believe, yes, I believe there are some rituals that are very important the ritual of the wedding process, I think is an important one. Don't you? And it's something that you want to be able to look back on with fond memories. When someone passes away, we, we hold a, a funeral service. And usually now these days we talk about a celebration of life. Well, all that's a ritual. There are certain rituals in in life that are important. I think remembrance day is a very important ritual we go through. And I'm not sure I would classify it quite as a ritual, but mother's day and father's day, when we honor our mother and honor our fathers, we take them out for dinner. We buy them gifts. We give them cards and phone calls and things. 
And in a manner of speaking, that's a ritual. But all these things are important. And here I believe when we come to give ourselves to God, I think that it's important that we have a a proper godly ritual. It doesn't have to be elaborate. It doesn't have to be elaborate, but there needs to be a, a, a point in time and space where we humble ourselves before the almighty and we give ourselves to him. <clears throat> now about this altar, I have a few thoughts here for you. I think that the altar is a special place. I'd like to borrow some, some scriptures from the old Testament. Number one, the altar was a place of forgiveness in Leviticus chapter four, verse 25. It says, and the priest shall take of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it upon the horns of the altar of burnt offering and shall pour out his blood at the bottom of the altar of burnt offering. That was all done for forgiveness of sin. Number two, the altar is a place that promotes purity. Psalm 26, six, David, he said, I will wash mine hands in innocency. So will I compass thine altar. O Lord, And the idea there is purity and holiness. Number three, the altar is a place of spiritual growth and wisdom. Deuteronomy 33, 10, they shall teach Jacob thy judgments and Israel thy law. They shall put incense before thee and a whole burnt sacrifice upon thine altar. Here, the altar is connected with the, um, the growth in, in wisdom and um, uh, godliness. And I do believe that if you were to think perhaps of the altar in terms of your prayer closet, where you get alone with God, there's a little ritual right there. You get alone away from the family, away from the world, away from everyone else, just your Bible and your, your two knees to get down and kneel, just your Bible and prayer. And if you think of the altar in those terms, then yes, it's a place where you'll find forgiveness, where you can get alone with God and say, God, I'm so sorry. I messed up. And you can ask God and he will forgive you. You'll find that it's also a place uh, that promotes purity. As you read your Bible and you pray, you will become more and more like Jesus. It's a place, of course, for spiritual growth and wisdom that you'll get from the scriptures. And also that still small voice of God. And listen, folks, tonight I'm going to be speaking on that still small voice. I want to invite you to come back and join us again tonight at six o'clock because I want to talk with you about the still small voice of God. You see what we're talking about this morning, the consecration of ourselves at the altar and tonight listening for the still small voice of God. They go together. They go together. So I want you to get two fists full of spiritual goodness today. Come back tonight at six o'clock for that message. Now here, what's so special about the altar Uh, Number four, it's also a place of mercy and mercy is where God rushes to our aid and doesn't expect to be paid for it. He'll wait until we get to heaven and he'll get his pay. Then when we can properly fall before him and praise him with no sin nature to hold us back. So it's a place of mercy. It's a place also of worship. We find again and again, Noah would build an altar and worship God. And uh, Abraham likewise would build an altar more than one. Every, every place Abraham went to, he built an altar and would worship God. And of course, it's a place of blessing. 
In Exodus 20, verse 24, it says, An altar of earth thou shalt make unto me, and shalt sacrifice thereon thy burnt offerings, and thy peace offerings, thy sheep and thine oxen, in all places where I record my name. I will come unto thee, and I will bless thee. The altar is a place of blessing. It, it is. It is, folks. If it wasn't, I wouldn't teach it. I wouldn't preach it. I wouldn't believe it. But the altar of God, that invisible place where we meet with God, it's a place of blessing. And listen, it's this last reason here I want to focus on the blessings of the altar, the blessings of drawing close to God. You say, well, what are some of those blessings? Well, let's first turn to the right in our Bibles and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And I want you to see a very interesting verse of scripture. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I want you to see this. The blessings at the altar. There's blessings for you and for me if we will draw nigh to God. There really, really is. First Corinthians chapter nine. Are you there? Yes. Oh, someone's not there yet. Okay. I'll wait another moment. Hurry up. First Corinthians chapter nine. Okay. We're there. All right. Good. Now look, please at verse number 13. All right. 13. Here we go. Do ye not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple. Now watch. And they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar. Now the context here, I want to be clear. The context here deals with the old Testament priests and the Levites who, who ministered at the altar with the sacrifices and they would receive the meat that was offered People would come in with the sheep and the goat, and this would be offered on the altar. And the Levites and the Old Testament priests, they would take this meat home with them and feed their families. And so there, there was a great blessing right there. They're getting their groceries for free. <laughs> but think of the awesomeness of this statement. I'm going to read it for you again, because there's a spiritual application for us. They which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar. Now, remember back in Exodus chapter 20, verse 24, I've already read that verse for you. It says, I will bless thee. That's what God says in connection with the altar. I will bless thee here in first Corinthians nine thirteen, We become partakers with the altar. And I believe with all my heart that those of us who spend time at the altar with God partake of the blessings. We really do. We honestly really do. Over the years, it's been my observation that Christians who often visit the altar, they seem to enjoy blessings that other Christians don't. Well, what sort of blessings are these? And I want to give you a, a couple of them right now. Number one, number one, living near the altar of God. That's what I'm talking about. Not just a once a year visit. See, folks, 
This day, this consecration Sunday, it's meant to set the mold for each week thereafter, maybe even each day thereafter. We're not supposed to just honor the Lord one day in the year. That's like what some people do. They forget all about their dear mother. They never bother with her. They never talk to her. They never tell her that they love her. They never give her a phone call, a card, a gift. They never take her out for dinner except one day of the year, Mother's Day. And maybe they do that to ease their conscience. Or maybe they do that in case someone asks them, well, did you, did you do something for your mother? I surely did. I pity people who treat their mothers like that. And to be honest with you, I pity Christians who treat their heavenly father like that. Consecration Sunday is not just meant for one day, even just one hour of that day in the whole year. It's meant to teach us and to set an example for each day, each week after that. But listen, living near the altar of God, the first blessing of living near the altar of God, it, it tends to keep a Christian happier in their Christian life. Do you know of any Christians right now that, that are just unhappy people? Do you think about it? Unhappy Christians. Humph. How's it going? Oh, I don't know. And it's like that every time you see them. Now, everyone has a down day, but there are some people that they never have an up day. Never. Every day is a down day. Beautiful day outside. Oh, it's a beautiful day. Yeah, well, give it time. Give it time. It won't be. It's a good day. What's so good about it? And you get some Christians like that. Now, are these Christians spending time alone with God at the altar? And I'll bet you they're not. I'll bet you that their prayers are very shallow. They only pray at mealtimes. Oh, let's pray. Thank, thanks for the food. Amen. What's that? But living at the altar, it's been my observation. I've been in the ministry now pastoring for 40 years. I've seen a lot of people. I've ministered to a lot of people, husbands and wives and moms and dads and children and families. I, I've made a few observations. And here's one observation that Christians who will spend more time at the altar close with God, they tend to be happier Christians. You know what it is that most people want out of life? Most people happiness. Hmm? Now, a lot of people make mistakes as to where they can find that happiness, but true happiness is found with the Lord. Happiness is to know the savior living a life within his favor. You know, the song, well, it's true. And it's been my observation that when Christians will live at the altar, they're going to be a, happier Christian. They will. Now I'll show you. Turn back to the book of Psalms. Go back to Psalm 122. You can do that. Psalm 122. 
Sure, let's do that. 122, Psalm 122. Okay. <clears throat> Would you read a verse of scripture out loud with me right there in your home? Maybe you're in your living room or in your study, wherever you are. Would you read one verse out loud together with me? Would you do it? Hey, let's do it for the Lord. Okay. Psalm 122, verse number one. Read it out loud with me right now. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Now that was written by King David. There's a man that spent time at God's altar. There's a man that really had the joy of the Lord. Hey, you know, there, uh, if you don't mind a little humor, there's a humorous story about a visitor who once came to a bit of a kind of a dead sort of church. Uh, it's not that they were all lost and unsaved, but just that they had no joy of the Lord. They were, they were a dead kind of a church. And so finally the pastor got up to preach a sermon. And during his sermon, he started talking about salvation. Well, this visitor had recently been born again. He'd received the Lord Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and savior. And he was pretty happy to know the Lord and be saved and not have to go to hell, but could go to heaven. And so when this pastor started talking about salvation, why he just cried out loud. Amen. Well, when he did that, some of the people around him got very disturbed. And uh, the pastor was a little bit ruffled there, but he kept preaching and then the visitor cried out even louder. He said, hallelujah. And more people were becoming quite bothered. And then louder still, he shouted out, praise the Lord. And finally, an elderly usher moved quickly down the aisle and bent over and whispered to him and said, sir, you must control yourself. And the visitor said, I can't help it. I have Jesus in my heart. And the usher replied, well, you certainly didn't get it here. Maybe the older you get, the funnier jokes like that become. I'm not sure, but I found it quite humorous. You know, living near the altar of God keeps a Christian happier. And I think really that's what we want out of life. We want to be happy. We want to live a happy life. See, why does it work this way? Living near the altar keeps us happier. Why does it work that way? Well, number one, that Christian who lives at the altar enjoys more a continued sense of the presence of God in his or her life. There's more of a feeling that God is at my right hand. Number two, he enjoys a closer company with other Christians who feel the same way. There's more a camaraderie there. Number three, he enjoys the security of coming to holy ground. When that Christian gets on his or her knees, they come into holy ground. You say, well, that's quite a blessing. Are there any other blessings to living at the altar? I believe there are blessing. Number two, living near the altar of God actually tends to keep a Christian a little more serious about his Christian life, about the things of heaven, about the reality of hell, 
and that people are either saved or lost. It tends to keep them a little more serious about the reality of the precious word of God and about the Holy Spirit's power. And so this second blessing by living near the altar of God is that it tends to keep a Christian a little more serious. Now, if you'd like to look in the new Testament, I'd like to show you this. It's in the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter one. Give you just a moment to find that. Philippians chapter one. Now, most all of you read out that last Bible verse with me. You did such a good job. Would you read one more verse with me? Just one Philippians chapter one, verse 21 Philippians 121. Read it out loud. Here we go. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now there's a good perspective. There's a excellent perspective and living near the altar tends to keep a Christian a little more serious, maybe steadfast. If you wouldn't mind a, another little humorous story, I have another one for you. It's a story here about a certain Baptist church. They had a small but growing congregation and they were good people, but there was one man in the church. He was a farmer and he didn't come very often. And it, it just seemed all one day, like he just quit coming. It just seemed like that. So the pastor went to his farm and sat down with him in the, the kitchen and, and asked him why he doesn't come to church anymore. And the, the farmer says, well, pastor, I only have these overalls and these old boots and I don't, I don't like coming into the, the house of the Lord dressed like this. And so the, the pastor asked him, well, stand up. So the farmer stood up and they, he looked, looked at the farmer. He says, we're about the same size. He said, listen, I have at home uh, a sports coat that I don't use. It's in good shape. I've got too many shirts. I can give you a nice shirt pair of trousers to match and some nice shoes. God's blessed me with these things and I have more than I could use. And I'll, I'll give them to you. I'd be happy to give them to you. If you'll come to church, is it a deal? The farmer, he said, it's a deal. And so the, the next day, the pastor came by with a package and gave the farmer these clothes. And so uh, the next Sunday, Pastor's waiting and waiting and waiting. And the farmer never showed up to church. He never came to church. Well, what now? So the next day, the pastor went around and knocked on the farmer's door and the farmer let him in. And, and he said to him, he said, brother, what happened? I gave you those clothes. You were going to come to church. And the farmer said, well, pastor, after I put on, actually, I, I, I showered, I shaved, I put on all those nice clothes you give me, and I looked in the mirror. And I looked so good that I decided I'd go to the Catholic church that day. 
Now that's maybe a strange little story, but my point is if the farmer had to spend a little more time at the altar with the Lord, he might not have made that mistake. Christians make mistakes when they don't spend time with God. Would you agree with that? It's easy to make mistakes. It's harder to do it right. You see, there's something you need to know in the Bible. The Lord Jesus spoke of the pearl of great price. You say, well, I think I know that pastor. I think you do too. And in the context of that, what Jesus said about a man who was buying pearls and he's looking for goodly pearls till he found the pearl of great price. And he went and he sold everything. It was so expensive. He sold everything and he brought all the money and he bought that one pearl of great price. He invested everything in it. The picture is a man who's trusting in his good works to get to heaven. He's trusting in his baptism. He's trusting in all these other things until he comes upon Jesus, death, burial, and resurrection. And this he understands is the pearl of great price. And he'll sell everything to give himself to that. And we understand it's in a salvation context, but there is another application to the pearl of great price. The pearl of great price. We, we often sometimes think of things we'd like God to do for us for maybe a, a young man, he's wanting to find the right young lady and marry her and have a wife. And in a manner of speaking, that would be like his pearl of great price, the greatest thing. People have different ideas as to what they think would be the greatest thing in their lives. And, and these are good things. I'm not talking about bad things. I'm talking about good things and Christians pray for these good things. And some of them, they want a house and they feel that this would be the greatest thing. If they could just own a house, it would be like their pearl of great price. Now I happen to have one here. You can't see this very well. So I took a little movie clip of it. Pastor Deviant, put up this little movie clip of this pearl of great price. Put that up now. Would you please? So there you can see the words pearl of great price. There it is there. Pastor Devian made that for me. It's 3d printed. I think he did a beautiful job on it. If you'd like one, just like it, it can be yours for $25. Contact Pastor Devian. The pearl of great price. You know, in the ministry, I want to serve God. I want to serve him so desperately that I delight to do his will. And his will for me is like the pearl of great price. If you were to come in my office, you would see this pearl of great price sitting up on my desk. God's will to know it and to do it is the pearl of great price. Do you understand that so far? Yes. Nod your head. If you understand some of you aren't nodding your head, nod your head. If you understand. Okay. All right. Well, did you know something that you're not the only one that has a pearl of great price? 
I mean that you, you have something in your mind's eye that, that you think of as a pearl of great price. God, if you would just do this for me, that would be my pearl of great price. But I want you to know that God also has in mind a pearl of great price. You see, for God, his pearl of great price is right here in your heart. And he looks at you and he wishes with all his heart that you would love him and that you would cry out to him and that you would depend upon him and that you would make him the center of your world every day and that you would love him with all your heart and mind and soul. And in God's mind, that would be his pearl of great price. God, what will you want? God says, my pearl of great price is your heart. Would you give me your heart? And that's up to you to give it. For God, we say, oh God, please give me a wife. Give me a home. Give me the knowledge of your will. This is the pearl of great price I want. Give it to me, Lord. God says, you have something I want. You have that pearl. That's your heart, your love, your devotion. Give it to me. You see, we each have a pearl of great price. I have a pearl. God has a pearl. We're always asking God to give us his pearl. But what are we doing about giving God our pearl? Does that make sense? And that's what consecration Sunday is all about. That's what the altar of God is all about. Is so that every day you can give God your pearl. You say, why does it have to be every day? Listen, if God gives you a loved one, if you are a, a young lady and you wanted a husband, God gave you a husband. Would you want God to give you that husband every day? And so you got that husband every day to keep that husband. Yes. Or would you only want him for one day? Well, you'd want a husband for the rest of your life. You'd want God to be giving you that husband life and health and strength in that husband and keep his heart near yours. And likewise, you need to give your pearl to God each and every day. Consecration Sunday is where it begins. I hope this makes sense to you. Living near the altar of God really does keep a Christian more serious about their Christian life. And the reason is because his or her eyes are more on the savior than on the things of the world, because he's more con concerned that this life bring pleasure to Jesus Christ rather than to himself. And that he'll tend to read his Bible more faithfully and pray more earnestly. Listen, I must hurry up here. I have to finish up. But there's one more blessing about living near the altar. There's one more blessing. It tends to keep a Christian ready for the coming of Jesus Christ. It tends to keep a believer in anticipation and daily readiness for when Jesus comes. And that day could be today. We don't know. Wouldn't that be a, a wonderful gift? You know, the doctrine of the rapture of Jesus Christ was not revealed by Jesus when he was on earth, but it was later revealed through the apostles, particularly Paul in first Corinthians 15, 51, behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. First Thessalonians 1 10. 
and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he hath raised from the dead, even Jesus Christ, which delivered us from the wrath to come. The wrath refers to the tribulation and he's delivered us from that. And this talks of the rapture. Now you're in Philippians. Turn back, please, to Matthew. And we're going to finish up here. Matthew chapter number 25. I'd like you to see a familiar story. Matthew 25. Verse one. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, there was a cry made, behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. Verse seven. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, give us of your oil for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered saying, not so lest there be not enough for us and you, but go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage and the door was shut. Now the context deals with the Jews at the end of the tribulation. Matthew 24, Matthew 25, those two chapters do not deal specifically with the rapture. It deals with the tribulation. That's important to keep that in mind. But we find here a tremendous similarity. There's a similarity to Christians who are looking and anticipating and longing for the return of their savior, Jesus in the clouds. They will keep their lamps trimmed and their burn their lamps burning bright. You can't help, but be conscious of the Lord's coming. Living near the altar tends to keep a Christian more ready for the coming of Jesus Christ. Folks, what can we say to these things? They are true. That's what we can say. But the question is, are they part of our lives? They should be. They ought to be. And they can be. And we can start today and make them. In Psalm 34, 8, it says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Folks, the best thing that we can do on this very first Sunday of this brand new year is to consecrate our lives to the Lord, our God. And I want to invite you to your knees. I'm going to get on my knees at this chair over here and they're going to put the camera on me. And I want to invite you to join me on your knees and we're going to pray. And because we can't all be here in church and do it like how we're used to doing it. I'll have to do all of the prayer. I'm going to pray for the deacons. I'm going to pray for all of you. Listen in your heart of hearts, when you get on your knees to pray, would you ask the Lord to give you his joy as you live for him every day? Would you ask him to make you more serious about your Christian life as you live near the altar? And would you 
Ask him to keep your lamps all trimmed and burning bright. Ready for the coming of our savior. All right. If you'd follow me over here, let's get on our knees now. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And I've asked Mrs. White to play something appropriate on the organ. Now our dear heavenly father, we humble ourselves on our knees before you. We acknowledge your sovereignty, your ownership. Here we are, each of us bowed at an invisible altar, asking you, Lord, to please have thine own way. Father, we know we're not much. We know that. And we ask, Father, that you would please forgive us our shortcomings, our sins. That you would please remind us daily to live for you. Father, make this moment special. By faith, we're kneeling at your throne. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for our deacons. And I pray for them now, for Howard and Alvin and David. And I thank you for these men, their love for you, their desire to serve you. Father, I pray that you'd please Help them day by day. Help them to pray. The ministry of prayer. Help them to pray for all the church family. I pray that you would give them protection from COVID and from any other disease. I pray you would bless them, meet and exceed their needs, and make them a blessing to our little church. Thank you so much for them. And Heavenly Father, I pray for everyone, all of your people who are bowed in your presence right now. Now there may be someone who is not physically able to get on their knees. But Father, God willing, we're all on our knees now. And I give you thanks for such a wonderful church family. And I personally, Lord, I think it's the best church in the world. I know we're not perfect. Father, I thank you for all of the men and women, the young people that make up this church family. They are also a pearl of great price. Wonderful church family. I pray that you would please keep them all healthy. Protect us from COVID-19 and COVID-20 and COVID-21 if there is such a thing. Please, I pray, keep our job secure, our cash flow secure. I pray you would heal the diseases that we know of. We've got a couple of people we're praying for, for cancer. And a few others that are experiencing a dilapidation of health. Strengthen your people. Keep them close to the altar. Keep them loving you, Father, serving you, always looking to obey you, always giving 
the pearl of their heart, which is in your eyes a pearl of great price, and always giving that to you every day. Dear Father, I pray that you please bless our people because most, most all our church people are born again and saved. And we've got a couple of church people that aren't yet born again. And I pray, Father, that you would help them to understand and open the eyes of their understanding and give them that desire to be part of your church family. Give them the faith necessary to repent of their sin and to trust Jesus Christ. Father, of all our church family that is saved, we have a few that are backslidden and not living properly for you. And Father, I pray that you would please give them a repentance to the acknowledging of the truth and help them to redeem themselves out of the, the, the grasp, the bondage of Satan and give them back the joy that they once had and make them fruitful and happy. Father, in this precious time, this holy moment of consecration, Lord, please hear and accept our prayers. And everyone who's praying from their heart and joining me right now, please, Lord, encourage them. Father, I pray for Pastor Tim, Pastor Devian, Pastor Silver, and I pray also for Ivan, a pastor in training. I thank you for these men. They are just so wonderful. And I ask that you would keep them safe. And please encourage them. Because I know how discouraging ministry can be some days. Encourage them. Keep them healthy. Keep their eyes on you. Lord, meet and exceed their needs. Please make sure COVID never finds them. Give them much wisdom. Lord, I pray that you would give them wisdom so they could share with me, and give me their counsel. And Father, I pray for all of the church people. And I ask that you might grant to me, give to me a place in their hearts, in everyone's heart, that they would love me as their pastor and pray for me daily and protect me and offer to me their counsel and their wisdom. And Father, throughout the year, as I preach your word, that they would hear it and obey it. And that together as a church family, we would please you and do greater things for you this year than we ever thought possible. Please keep us faithful, keep us humble, filled with the spirit, away from the world and closer to heaven. And we'll give you the praise and thanks and glory. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.